This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a show dedicated to the spirituality and psychology of the human condition. This year, however, we're taking a detour together as I venture into the world of writing. Each episode documents my journey from the big idea to a complete fiction novel. Join me through the highs and the lows that are sure to be part of this creative process. Yes, friends, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. This is the second episode in our The Transcendent Trilogy series, which, as we've discussed, has just started and has no foreseeable end. Um, This is going to go on for a while, but glad to have you with me. Uh, For those of you who have made the transition from kind of our, our previous type of content into this new new version of the podcast. So glad to have you with me. Um, hope that you're having a great time and that you'll stick around. So where are we at? Uh, looks like we are February 19, 2024. So welcome back. Today's topic is choking on my big idea. Um, chapter one. So you'll want to write a novel. Chapter two, let's just make it a trilogy. And chapter three, coming up with the plan. Chapter one. So you want to write a novel. I wanted to start this episode talking about the concept of writing or writing a novel. So when you walk through a bookstore, like let's say you're in Barnes and Noble or something like that. um, And I think like when you just look at the vast number of books that are in this store, I think it's easy for us to just kind of go, oh, it must be pretty easy to write a book. It must be pretty easy to get published. I mean, look at the number of books, look at the shelves, look at the, the floors. There's a a main floor. There's an upper floor. There's, you know, adult sections, kids sections, young adult, you name it. It looks like it should be pretty easy, but I think we all know deep down inside. It's really not that easy. The simple answer is no. In fact, writing a novel and getting it published is a very difficult task. According to a Yahoo News article back in 2021, it suggests that 60% of Americans think that their lives are interesting enough to become a novel. 15% of us have started writing one, but only 8% of the population actually finishes the job. 8%. So what does that look like when compared to other things? Well, let's look at a few. So here's a list of things that less than 1% of the population have been able to do. Complete a marathon, complete the Ironman triathlon, are Olympic athletes, play a professional sport, completed at least one scuba dive in 2022. So looking at these things, writing a book might seem pretty simple right? I mean, you're eight times more likely to write a novel than doing those other things. Next, interesting fun fact, only 2% of the population has completed a PhD program. So it's literally easier to write a novel than to attain higher education at the PhD level. But let's look at some other things that do compare very similarly. 7% of people will get appendicitis in their lifetime. 
8% of Americans own or ride a motorcycle. 8% of Americans have a felony on their record. What? 8.8% of Americans are millionaires. 9% of the world's population lives on an island. And 10% of the population is left-handed. So there you go. A few statistics to help you understand how difficult it is to write a novel. When you see these stats, you start to understand, you start to feel the difficulty, right? That it's a pretty rare thing. And only eight people out of a hundred will ever pull it off. You're equally likely to become a millionaire or catch a felony charge. That's putting things into perspective. Now, I know that took a lot of time, but I just wanted to set the expectation to get a bit more specific about what it means to write a novel and how it actually happens. Chapter two, let's just make it a trilogy. So we just documented how difficult it is to write one novel, but what if we decided to write a trilogy? Now I couldn't find many statistics on anything to do with trilogies, like the percentage of people who've written one, the percentage of authors who've released trilogies, the percentage of, uh, the percentage of trilogies to regular book releases, or even the total number of trilogies released to date. It's like a black hole out there. But it's pretty obvious to me that the percentage is far lower than the 8% of people who published a single book. And my guess is that it's closer to things like running a marathon or being a professional athlete. Because logic suggests that if doing one thing is difficult, doing that thing three times has to be more difficult, right? So this is my dilemma. My dream or my big idea came to me suggesting that it needed to be a trilogy. I didn't come up with that idea. It just became painfully clear to me that it shouldn't be one book, a singular novel. So this is where the whole phrase biting off more than you can chew comes into play. It would be one thing if I was already a published author and decided that it was time to write a trilogy. But it's a whole other thing to jump into the writing game with no experience and think that a trilogy makes sense as your first project. And yet, here I am. This is probably the biggest reason why things have stalled out on me in the past. The entire concept of a trilogy is daunting. And the more I read about StoryGrid and the recommendations it was making, the more worried I became. More about that in the next chapter. But before we dive in too far, let's finish this chapter by looking at a few reasons why writing a trilogy is, a, is even a thing, right? Why somebody would think to do this in the first place. I found an article by onlinespellcheck.com called Trilogies, Why Are They So Popular? And the author starts out by admitting that we don't really know. There's no scientific evidence that a trilogy should work. And yet, there does seem to be something about the number three. Aristotle divided stories into three parts, the setup, the conflict, and the resolution, or simply the beginning, middle, and end. Plays often have a three-act structure. And then there's this thing called the rule of three, right? This idea that there's just something magical or mythical about sets of three, which really bleeds into everyday life with simple things like on the count of three, three strikes and you're out. I'm not going to tell you a third time, etc., etc. 
And if you're a spiritual or a religious person, obviously you have the concept of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then you have recent trilogies like The Hunger Games and Divergent, which suggests that people are really wanting this type of content. But when you get to this type of content, the author goes on to suggest that it may be some very similar themes in these series that are making them popular as trilogies. So what this author found is that most of them, or most of the time, trilogies are either in the sci-fi or the fantasy genre. The stories include fantastical worlds that are really hard to flesh out in one book. And readers simply want to know more about these worlds, allowing the author to spread their ideas out over more books. For me, this is probably why I'm leaning to the whole idea of a trilogy. I've always been fascinated with the book The Stand by Stephen King. And the big idea that I have definitely has those types of vibes. When I look at King's book, I realize the only reason it wasn't a trilogy is that King wanted to keep it all in one book. But that means it's a very long book. In fact, it is over 1,470 pages long. Now, the book is broke up, broken up into three sections, or acts, but it's still all in one book. Now, if I were to divide 1,472 by three, you get roughly 490. So I went to my nightstand and I picked up one of my novels that I had recently read. Uh, it happened to be by A.G. Riddle. I picked it up and wouldn't you know, 502 pages. So there you go. Stephen King's book, The Stand, could easily have been a trilogy with three books at roughly 500 pages each. Now I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it a bit. Stephen King probably did what he did for a reason. If there were three separate books, the stories may have needed to be restructured with a bit more dramatic storylines, plot points, and maybe like higher level climaxes for each of the three books. I don't know, but you get the point. Knowing all of the things I want to cram into my story, I can definitely see it getting out of control like the stand. So I'm choosing to break it up. Chapter three, coming up with the plan. So the story grid has a crap ton of resources for writers wanting to write a single novel, but literally two pieces of content on trilogies. That's it. Which suggested a few things to me when I saw this. First, trilogies are so difficult, the story grid people don't even want to recommend them. Second, maybe trilogies don't really fit into the story grid model. Or three, there's a, a chance that the story grid people look at a trilogy as nothing more than three well-structured novels following the story grid principles simply placed together. So I contacted story grid to ask these questions and they actually got back with me. It was pretty cool. They admitted that they had a very dismal amount of content related to trilogies. They suggested that I might find it profitable to hire a story grid editor. They recommended a six week workshop that I could attend, or they said I could start with a free 30 minute consultation with one of the story grid guys. Now, due to the fact that I've only written a few chapters and I'm still struggling with the big idea in, in terms of trilogy terminology, hiring an editor probably isn't the right move right now. 
And a six week workshop would be a lot of fun, but I'm not sure that I have the resources or the time to invest in that this early in the project. But the 30 minute consultation really sounded amazing. I just need somebody to point me in the right direction, to tell me I'm on the right track with my outline and my overall structure for my trilogy. So that's really my next step. Complete my full outline and then come up with some very detailed questions so that the 30 minute call will be profitable. Then in the future, it totally makes sense to hire a story grid editor or just an editor in general, somebody who could look it over and basically keep me moving in the right direction with the content, the grammar, the structure, all of those things, but maybe more as I get close to finishing my rough draft on the first novel. But let's end today with two gold nuggets, golden nuggets from the story grid universe. The first is the five commandments of storytelling. And the second is the math of storytelling. So according to Sean Coyne, the creator of the story grid methodology, you must abide by the five commandments of storytelling. Now, these five elements are not just used once in your novel. They are used over and over and over again at every level. These five commandments are the inciting incident, the turning point progressive complication, the crisis, the climax, and the resolution. Now, you can see how a book could have these at the highest level, right? Your story opens with some crazy event that happens. That's the inciting incident. Then the story unfolds and the plot thickens. This is the turning point and the progressive complication over time. Next, there's some major crisis the protagonist experiences. Next, that leads to the most climactic point in the story, the climax, right? And then you learn how the story ends, which is the resolution. But according to Sean Coyne, these five elements aren't just used at the highest level. They need to be used at every level. So the beginning of your book would have the five commandments. The first part of the middle build would have them. The second part of the middle build would have them and the ending would have them. And each scene in your book, sometimes that's over 60, 70, 80 scenes in a book, each scene would have those five commandments driving them. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, well, that's a little excessive. I mean, I get the concept, but you can't really expect that you're going to have those five pieces in every single little piece of a story. But as time went on, I started to see the value in it, right? As I read novels, I started to pick up on the five commandments and how they showed up scene by scene by scene, creating what we call narrative drive. It's what keeps you turning pages, right? It's, it's what has you read a sentence or two, get excited, finish that scene. And then there's like this cliffhanger that makes you want to go on to the next one. It's that five commandment process over and over and over, which provides that drive. Now I'm still not a hundred percent there, but I'm really, really trying. Next, Sean Coyne and Tim Grawl did a podcast episode called the math of storytelling, which basically discusses how we can reduce the mystery involved in writing a novel by simply applying some simple math. So according to the guys, here's how it plays out. Starting at the highest level, you have a novel, which can be anywhere from 60 to 80,000 words total. 
Now, if you're writing fantasy or an epic adventure novel, you could get upwards of 100,000 um, per book. But let's just go with 60 to 80,000 for a basic novel. Next, they broke the 60 to 80,000 word total down into the three parts of a book, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And according to the guys, the beginning should have 25%, the middle should have 50, and the end should have another 25, making 100%. Now, if you translate this into words, that means you would have 20,000 words in the beginning of your book, 40,000 throughout the middle, and another 20,000 to end it. Next, they moved on to the average length of a scene. According to them, scenes can be anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 words. So if you take the total number of words in your book and you divide it by the length of a scene, you get the total number of scenes that you might have in your book. And according to the guys, it's anywhere from 40 to 65 scenes total, which could be up to 100 or more if it's a fantasy or epic novel, epic adventure novel. So if you take 20,000, which is the number of words you have in the beginning of your book, divide that by the, an average scene, it tells you how many scenes you would probably have in the, in the beginning of your book. And that would be anywhere from 10 to 15. And then in the middle, you would have double that. So anywhere from 20 to 30 scenes in the middle of your book, and then another 10 to 15 to end it. So after doing all of this math, the guys suggest that having this information, we now know that there probably needs to be 20, what they call skeletal scenes. So these are simply the five commandments of storytelling in each of the four parts of your book. So in the beginning of your book, you should have five scenes, each one dedicated to one of the five commandments. Then in the first half of the middle build, you have another five. In the second half, you would have another five. And then in the end of your book, you would have another five scenes matching the storytelling commandments. At 1,500 words per scene, this removes about 30,000 words from your total right away. That's over half of your entire book. Now, this is where Sean and Tim left the conversation about math, but I want to go just a little bit further to show you how adding in a few more elements can actually get you the rest of the way there. So let's start with this thing called conventions and obligatory moments. So conventions are things that you typically have in your book, depending on the genre of book that you are writing. And the same goes with obligatory moments. So if I'm writing a horror book, there are some obligatory things that I must have in my book. Otherwise a reader is going to be upset, right? They're not going to be satisfied because there isn't the jump scare or there isn't the final battle between the protagonist and the antagonist or the monster or, or, you know, whatever, however your book is built, there are those moments that just have to be in there. Otherwise it lets people down. Now I'm sure in the future, we'll talk more about these, um, these conventions and obligatory moments. But for now, the simple explanation is this, right? We just kind of discussed this. Every genre has a set of elements that must be included or the reader won't be satisfied in an action story. There has to be a hero and a villain or the story doesn't work. And there has to be a hero at the mercy of the villain. So a scene where the hero is literally in a life or death situation because of the villain or the 
antagonist. Otherwise, that scene or that story just won't work. Same with horror stories, love stories, etc., as we've talked about. Each genre has its own special sauce, elements and scenes that must be included or the reader will feel cheated. So when you sprinkle in these scenes at 1,500 words each, you might knock out another 20,000 words. Now you've knocked out 50,000 words. So if your novel is a 60,000 word novel, you're literally almost done, right? You're almost there. If it's 80,000, you're well over halfway there. Next, you can add a whole other layer to your story. So there's this thing called the hero's journey, which we'll spend more time talking about next time. And I've made reference to it on previous episodes, but the hero's journey is a very specific story arc that you can follow in telling a really good story. And it has very specific scenes. It has its own conventions, its own obligatory moments, as well as a set of interesting characters that you might want to include in your story. So if you wanted, you could use this to generate another set of scenes for your story, ensuring that it includes the the big elements of the hero's journey. And finally, add in a scene or two throughout each section to give it more flavor, add context, build your world, grow your characters. And when you add up all of these elements, you should have reached your 60 to 80,000 word count. Now I know that was much easier said than done, right? But for me, this is a game changer. It literally took the blank piece of paper I was staring at and it added boxes and prompts. It created an outline with very specific pieces of content required in very specific places in the story. So I started taking pieces of my story and adding them into the boxes. And before long, an outline started to take shape, making the end product feel that much more attainable. This was a huge light bulb moment for me. But I get it. This method only works for people who love this type of writing. Kristen Kiefer, who um, does a podcast I listened to for quite a while, she wrote an article explaining the difference between pantsers and plotters. A pantser is a writer who writes by the seat of their pants. Very spur of the moment, just writing by inspiration type of thing. And then you have a plotter, who is someone who wants to do in-depth pre-writing before they ever sit down to write. So obviously the story grid and the hero's journey fit better for a plotter's workflow. Not that a pantser couldn't instinctively use many of these same structural elements, but for a plotter, these, these uh, methodologies just seem to make sense. So the things that we just walked through today work well for me because I'm a plotter. Now, this doesn't mean that they will work for everyone. Like we said, if you immediately found yourself balking at these ideas that I was talking through, you might be a pantser and that's fine. If I were you, I would do a Google search on writing as a pantser, right? I would look up some famous pantsers like Hemingway, Asimov, Stephen King, and really read up on their writing style and how they do what they do. But either way, you have to pick a style and take your next steps in that process. So let's land the plane. Friends, first of all, as always, thanks again for hanging out with me. I love this new thing that we're doing together and I can't wait to get into the actual writing process. But until then, these are some really good first steps. As a plotter, this is the hardest part. 
These are the foundation building steps that are crucial to the success of the overall project. Outlining, planning, getting landmarks and waypoints in place, all creating a well-lit path that you can travel down when you start to write. So that's where I'm at in the process. Hopefully you're enjoying this. And if you're in the similar situation, a similar creative process, hopefully this is helpful for you. Um, and that's it. Until next time, friends, have an amazing week. And as always, keep transcending human. <laughs>